Okay, we are back with episode 27 of the Auto Week podcast. Uh, we have some some great stuff to talk about, which is good development for you, the podcast listener, because uh, you could be listening to this and we could have nothing to talk about, uh, but I we mean, do. I mean, everything's a work in progress, right? What does that mean? You know, it's just constantly This is finished. It's good. Progressing. It's, it's finished now. No? Yep. Oh, all right. We're not... We're at our peak. We're at the <laughs> best. We're at the top of the mountain as far as podcasting. Zenith, pinnacle. It will not get better. Everything. So, so if you're listening to this thinking, eh, maybe it'll get better with the next. <laughs> that's We're there. This is, as, this is as good as it gets. But uh, we should probably just jump right in because we have a really uh, packed, action-packed show for you here. We actually have some, some talk about uh, motorsports. Uh, that will come as a big surprise. We uh, also have a really good interview with the coolest person I've ever met, and uh, we will reveal who who he is uh, later. But first, we wanted to talk about a race. Uh, we should introduce ourselves first. So I'm Rory Carroll. I'm Rob Warner, managing editor. I thought we gave titles. That was part of the thing, right? Give titles. Your title is publisher. Yeah, but mine's managing editor. People can they can look that up. They can yeah, look that you up. can look that up, up because yeah. if you look in the magazine, which you should subscribe to, it says publisher next to Rory's name yep. and managing editor next to mine. Yep. What does it say next to yours, Jimmy? What What does it say? I think it, I think it says event and custom content specialist. Yeah, but my name makes no sense. Is Jimmy Pelizari? Yeah. Isn't it the longer your title, the more important you are? I so that would make you the most important person. That's what in helps room. me sleep at night, yeah. Robin. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Mike Bryson, uh, motorsports editor. Yeah, so we wanted to talk about first the Formula One race that happened on the desert planet of Baku, which if you. <laughs> it happened in Azerbaijan. <laughs> which is. In, now, in for all the Star Wars heads out there, where. Uh, is that where we first we first meet uh, Jar Jar Binks? Is I that think, extended universe? And Kylo Ren? No, I think that's regular Star Wars. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's in the normal. Uh, no, it, Baku. Oh, that was the is a classic Formula One venue, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, you think about the golden era of Formula One at Grand Prix racing uh, in the world. I mean, you th- yeah, you think of Spa, Silverstone. Baku, Monza, 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 Monaco, and then Baku. You keep going back to Baku. It's, it's yeah. huge. I mean, did, okay, I'm going to interrupt the sarcasm for a moment. It's I'm a, not being sarcastic. Okay, you're not being sarcastic. I'm going to interrupt the not sarcasm moment here. It's a, it's actually a pretty killer venue. It's, it's a street course. It's also the second longest track mm-hmm. they hit, and it's also got one crazy corner after the next. Yeah. And the weather... Uh, if you come early enough, which they did this time around, the weather can throw a lot of curveballs at you. Like this past Sunday where they had 80 kilometer an hour, so like roughly 50 mile an hour wind gusts. Do you think, though, from a, uh, from a you know, the real reason they do this race there, has it been effective at kind of distracting people from the abysmal human rights record of Azerbaijan? Has that worked i mean not that we in the united states should be sitting here casting aspersions on anyone else's record on human rights but does that work do people think of azerbaijan as a better place because they have this race there because it's really expensive if it doesn't I mean, I work think they, i think they probably think about it you think it's kind of like a not not the human rights just azerbaijan i don't think people usually think about azerbaijan 
Right. But they do, I mean, when you have the race there, people are like, oh, Azerbaijan, we should look them up on Wikipedia and see what, I oh mean, boy. I mean, it's hard to, hard to say about Azerbaijan, but I think it's probably pretty easy to say that it made um, Bernie Ecclestone a decent amount of money. Yeah. And I think maybe that, but I think you have to wonder what the so government there is hoping to get. Is this like a bottle service? Is it a prestige thing? Right. Uh, not discounting that at all. What about several of the other venues in Formula One Miami calendar? Uh, well, Austin, Texas. Yeah, that's that's Plenty that was number two. Yeah, that was my number two there. Uh, uh, maybe. The did you Bahrain, know? Did you Bahrain, know that Austin, Texas? Once yeah. I was there, and I wanted some vegan tacos, and there was a line. I mean, can you believe it? That's good, Robin. That's hilarious. Uh, well, they got to figure. Let's out. talk about the they race. Fix that. The well, race was good. Yeah, the race was actually pretty good, which is. Another again, we're having this uh, bizarre season in Formula One where, like, the most of it is watchable. Where where most of it is watchable. Now, what I Lewis call it, Hamilton is a nice guy. What I call it. <laughs> what is this world? What I to? call it. It's not Lewis Hamilton's problem is not that he's not nice. It's that he's a dork. Uh, he's always been nice. Uh, he he's, there just, was this, he's the nerdiest person that has any kind of following. Like he's trying not to be nerdy. The television yeah, cameras yeah. caught him. And he was on like a razor scooter, like razor scootering down into the paddock. Yeah. But it was like a custom razor scooter. Of he had course. his own handlebars and he wore this bright pink Tommy jeans sweatshirt yeah. and a handkerchief around his neck. Oh, man. It so was it, a. So, it, but here's the difference, right? Is that Alonso rides on a skateboard or a longboard? Skateboard? Whatever. Whatever. Around. A board with wheels. And is really cool. Lewis Hamilton rides around on a custom Razor scooter. Yeah. It was an odd... Not cool. It was an odd combination of things. Right. It was weird. The whole get-up. It was a weird well, and combination. That's, that's the whole thing about Hamilton, too, is that the reason he comes off as such a dork is because he's trying so hard to be cool. And, like, Alonso may ride a, a, a longboard or whatever, which may be not necessarily a cool thing to do, but you can tell that Alonso at least puts off an air of not caring what people think about him. So, but anyway, yeah, the race was race was really good. good. Yeah. <laughs> the race was, really uh, good. and that, and that dork you just mentioned won that race. Well, well, yeah. Well, the reason I said he was a nice guy is because he was late to the podium because he was, you know, basically contra- congratulating and consoling an Instagram of his dog, uh, Botas. Oh yeah. Okay. In the back and saying, Hey, you drove great. This was really your race. Uh, here's a, but I'm here's gonna go, a sign. I'm going to go win a race. Here's now. a signed Instagram. <laughs> Give me the lead too. Here's a signed photo of my dog with a right. uh, with an yeah. outfit on. All right. So talk, anyway, the racing, so the race, the um, racing was really good. The racing was it fantastic. Was, was, I mean, like I said, like I will say, of all these races, incredibly entertaining for a Formula One race, which is an important caveat. I don't think I thought that was an entertaining race. I mean, the well, yeah, well, I, I loved the right the would, battle between Red Bull and Renault was great. But you know, the they were helped with tires there a little bit, but the actual fighting on track was was the fighting showed between a really the, great, the Red Bulls uh, was ultimately was, that, that. But ultimately, took the but no, there was. I mean, ultimately, of, the, the fighting between the Red Bulls was still the fight for fourth place. I mean, there's not very many series in the world that are focusing on the fight for fourth place. You know, you want to see really? the fight at the front. No, I, I, you, you watch a, you know, an IndyCar and NASCAR. They're not focusing half their coverage on the fourth right. battle and then for they, fourth. And then they focused on the battle for first. Only after it got NASCARized by the late. No, they were know. focused on that with uh, Botas, Vettel, 
Hamilton was kind of out of the picture there for a little right. bit because he was playing the, you know, I mean, he was playing a safe race, which was good. And then, yeah, I mean, the, the Red Bulls taking each other out really benefited. Well, I mean, taking I each mean, other out, I don't know if that's how I... Oh, right, yeah. Oh, uh, Verstappen I mean, there's served pretty clearly at clearly fault broke in the that rules. situation. And yeah. I love how they're trying to play it off as like, they're both equally at fault. No, and no stuff. that's BS. Uh, the rule is you can make one move. Verstappen made two. And, and I think, well, right. Jimmy, Jimmy was saying earlier, too, that Verstappen has a very distinct history of making that exact same. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. right when he came into F1, he was making two moves, un- and it's under braking specifically. You aren't supposed to swerve in general, and especially at a time like before when it wasn't so safe, you know, that's a very dangerous thing to do. Yeah. But especially in a braking zone, that's it's a really dick move. And when he came into the sport, he was doing it more frequently especially against uh, Raikkonen a couple times, and Vettel uh, got particularly upset, I think, at Spa somewhere? Yeah, Spain? that sounds right. Somewhere. Um, and then he kind of cut it out Cut it out last year. Uh-huh. And I think that, you know, with the, all of the talk about him and Ricardo and stuff, and within that battle, I think he kind of went back to his old kind of just habits. Yeah. And he just, like you watch him, he just he went over, and then he just, boop, came back left. And Ricardo had already Committed. commenced his Ricardo lunge, you know, and there was nothing he could really do. About yeah. So it. what Ricardo did is he feigned to go outside and immediately shifted um, to go inside, and that's that's a clever move in racing. A lot of people do it, um, but because it was in braking that all this happened, those two cross paths. So one was right behind the other in the braking zone, which means the guy behind lost a ton of air to push the wings down, which means he probably lost a good. G's worth of deceleration right there. All of a sudden, both both brakes lock up, and he's and it's uh, he's done for. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating too how Christian Horner afterwards, you know, comes oh, to them and good. says, you know, but I mean, ultimately, he said, you know, these guys got to apologize to the teams, you know, because they're they're yeah. taking a lot of you know potential risk. Yeah, they're taking a lot of potential money away from the teams by by this kind of move. But then, did you see what Lauda said? Uh, if it was uh, his bullshit. drivers, he, he says he said I'd have those guys come in and uh, pay for the damages. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, write that check. So here's here's the politics that are going on behind this that I think was the biggest mistake that Christian Horner made. Max Verstappen is favored because he's young and he's got a lot of potential, but Daniel Ricciardo is really, really, really strong right now. Yep. And Daniel Ricciardo is a free agent in just a few months, and if they want, if Red Bull wants him to stay, which I know they do. They're they're decreasing their chances of that happening because Ferrari has a potential seat, Mercedes has a potential seat. Those are the two big teams out there. Right? I mean, wouldn't it be great if he went to Ferrari? I just think that would be the best. Thing I, ever. I would love it if he went to Ferrari. I would absolutely love it. I mean, it's not like it would be bad if he went to Mercedes, but Ferrari would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I tend I tend to prefer to keep him at Red Bull because I I mean I a I'm a, a bit of a Red Bull fan, but b I think having three competitive teams is better than having two competitive teams. That's true. I mean, Verstappen will still be in there uh, taking people out of the race. Yeah. You still have that wild card. He's, he's competitive you know? in the sense that he could ruin the race <laughs> right. for anyone at for any, anyone any time. And I would absolutely love it if they if they picked up Raikkonen. It's like, well, Raikkonen, you want to stay in the sport? Why yeah. not? Let's do it. That'd be, well, yeah, Raikkonen's a funny, a funny guy because you, you, you think just when you think his career is over, you look up in the standings, he's sitting third again this year. Yeah. I mean, if he finishes in the top four, I mean, there's no reason for Ferrari to let him go. Raik- Raikkonen is also better. I mean, Ferrari constantly makes obvious choices that favor Vettel each and every time very consistently. 
And whenever Vettel does something shady, they always let it go. If Raikkonen gets even close into the gray area, he gets scolded. So Raikkonen's also a lot better well, a, than his results show. It's a clear one, too. Oh, I mean, so a, obvious, yeah. yeah. So, mean, yeah, you got the right combination of drivers that will accept their roles, and apparently Raikkonen accepts that role. I mean, Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that's why he's there. Yeah, he accepts that role whenever he accepts that paycheck, which is not small. Yeah. Um, so that was the – oh, you know, the other thing I, I was reading today about uh, Fernando Alonso's drive – uh, in a very badly damaged car, he was hit by the Williams. Oh yeah, that I mean that one. was one of the drives of the of the whole race. Yeah, um, finished seventh, I yeah. think, but in a car that had uh, a damaged under tray, had uh, the front uh, T tray, the wing in the front was broken. Uh, all of it. it was a lot of it. Really messed up. Yeah, I mean, watching him, watching him work that car back to the pits. I mean. You know, everyone always gushes about Alonso, but watching him get that thing back yeah. into the pits, bounce it off of the pit wall to get it into the yeah. just down there. I mean, you got to hand it to the guy that probably most other drivers we'll park it. would have just parked it yeah. and started complaining. I think the so that was cool. Obviously, the result, if you didn't see it, Botas was leading late, hit a piece of debris from the Red Bull crash, lost a tire. Hamilton pulled into the brutal. P1. Well, and that and, was uh, that was that was immediately after Vettel made a desperate lunge to take the lead in turn one, and outbraked himself big time, locked up, lost a couple places. That's what put Hamilton in second place instead of third. And then a lap later, Botas hit that debris, and uh, that was after the Red Bulls uh, took each other out, and that was after the McLarens suffered after they were, as Jimmy was saying earlier, really competitive racing against the Red Bulls. And Renault. That, I was talking about Renault. What did I say? McLaren. Red Bull. Red, sorry. They're all Renault. They're all Renault, Renault, Renault yeah. and Red Renault factory yeah. team and Red Bull. And that was the point I was getting at. I'm sorry I misspoke. Is that Renault, in terms of pure pace as a chassis, is getting pretty close potentially with Red Bull, which is technically a customer team, but obviously a big customer team. Yeah. So there's a lot of dynamics going on within Formula One about the performance of the teams versus the performance of the factory teams. So you have Mercedes, the factory team, and then Mercedes engine runners like Williams and Force India. Then you have Ferrari, and we'll just stay there. And then you have Renault, and you have the Renault factory team, but you also have Red Bull and McLaren. And to see how they play out is, yeah. you know, super fascinating. And, to and what's what's been cool too is that you're starting to see, you know, I mean, obviously there's Mercedes and Ferrari, you know, good bets. Uh, for for winning the race, definitely. But you've got Red Bull, who's starting to challenge them in the race. But then you've also got Renault now creeping up on Red Bull and kind of biting, you know, mm-hmm. biting at their heels. And the mid pack is really good as well. So you're starting to, and I think even uh, Sauber, Sauber Alfa Romeo, kind of yeah, worked his way crazy. up into that was crazy eighth how competitive or sixth. they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have some really just odd, hot and cold stuff going on with Honda Toro Rosso Honda. Pierre Gasly had a fifth place finish one or two rounds ago, yeah. but then they seem to be suffering again. So they've yeah. been real hot and cold. Yeah, okay. Let's talk about NASCAR. Uh, briefly, we had a uh, race in Talladega last weekend. I think the big story was uh, Joey Logano without anyone really making an effort to challenge him late. But anyway, Mike, the, the NASCAR race uh, this weekend, take us through that. Obviously, with Talladega, we had a, an enormous crash that we lost a... Uh, 
huge part of the uh, huge part of the field. Well, the big takeaway from Talladega, besides the big one, which happens every year, every, every year, every yeah. year now. I mean, you can count on Talladega and Daytona to give you some big ones every race uh, now because of the restrictor package and all that restrictor plates. But the, I think the big takeaway from that thing was the fact that Ford, Ford was so yeah. dominant. I mean, and, and it was kind of the same week that they announced uh, the Mustang coming to the Ford Cup Series next year. Ford has not won the. Uh, you know, manufacturer's championship and cup since 2002. And it's, it'd be kind of uh, funny if they won it this year and then they scrapped their fusion, obviously. Yeah. For, Actually, for, I would for love it if it was a Lincoln. I would love it if it was Ooh, a there Lincoln you go. product. A hot rod Lincoln, Ooh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the, the interesting thing, too, about that, the, the talk at the beginning of the year was Brad Keselowski and some of the Ford guys saying, wow, these Fords are never going to run with the Camrys and the, the, the new Chevys. Uh, you know, we're a generation behind we don't have the arrow to to run with these new cars. Lo and behold, the Fords have been pretty good this year. And I, I that's interesting to me with, with a new Camry or a newer Camry, obviously a brand new Camaro. The narrative going into the year was that the Fords were not going to be competitive. And I mean, they they really have been. I mean, they've been dominant. Well, uh, one thing about NASCAR, uh, we talk about the Camry last year winning, you know, with Martin Truex Jr., that was a newer Camry, and, and it took him a little while to get it yeah. rolling. But once they got it rolling, and uh, I ran into Brad Kozlowski, name dropper, uh, last week at Michigan Speedway. He was a uh, Michigan International Speedway. He was doing a tire test uh, with some of the teams. You're dropping names, not Kozlowski. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and he doesn't need to because he's – He's the name. There yeah, he he's is the name. name. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not dropping my name. So. Yeah. yeah, I ran into Blake Price and down <laughs> yeah, at yeah, uh, no all the guys at the, <laughs> yeah. the Brooklyn, Michigan. <laughs> no big deal. So, but we talked to him about that. We asked him about the about the, you know next year's uh, Mustang and is he anticipating a tough season next year because they're going to have to go through that learning curve. Yeah. And uh, he kind of you know he kind of pointed to that Camry deal and says you know hey we can start slow. One thing about NASCAR. You don't have to win the first race of the year, or be strong even the first half of the year to win yeah. a championship. You know, unlike Formula One or whatever, you can run away and hide by the halfway point of the season. With NASCAR's uh, playoff yeah, format, yeah. you win one race. You know, you can win the last race of the season, and if you're peaking at the right time, you can still win a championship in that sure. series. But yeah, it, it, what can you tell us about that? Like I said, I, it, at the last last several laps of that race, watching Logano kind of. I kept expecting someone to kind of try to make a move and, and, you know, as, as you would late in a, in a big race like that. And it just didn't happen. It was bizarre to me. Maybe it was because the fact they were all the Fords up front they were all running the same. I don't know. It was, it was weird. And we didn't have that series of, uh, you know, debris cautions and and the artificial cautions to lead into the overtimes, which have been so prevalent, you know, almost, almost laughable sometimes the, the number of overtimes we've seen and, you know, on the big tracks with the, with the restrictor plates, um, but yeah, I mean, all I know is Ford's singing and dancing. They finished uh, six of the top seven uh, places were Ford's this, this week, which you know it's got everybody else shaking their heads now and, yeah. and you know wondering what they've got. Um, so we did not have an IndyCar race last weekend. No, they they don't race again until the Grand Prix at on Indy. May twelfth. Yeah, at the you know, infield of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But they did start practice uh, this week yeah. down there for the 500, and we got uh, Danica back on the track yesterday for the first time. Yep. And uh, she uh, didn't do so well yesterday. She she admitted that she was a little bit overwhelmed by, uh, you know, the, the, all the changes in the cars, even since, you know, she was there in 2011. Uh, one story I read last night from one of our or one of our reporters down there said that Danica came in and said she couldn't find neutral when she got into the pits, you know, just because of the way this, the, the clutch system is different this year than it was, you know, in 2011. Uh, so she's, uh, she's on a learning curve, but she says she's going to be fine uh, come race and, 
and we'll, we'll see. It should be it should be a fun month uh, for her. But again, this was a, a little different than 2011. The series does change. Uh, former Auto Week intern Connor Daly is back in the car, getting ready for his uh, Indy 500 ride. But it was good to see him back in the car. Uh, obviously, a, a big fan favorite. And like I said, a former Auto Week intern, so a guy we always have uh, have an eye on. Um, that was kind of cool to see him back in the car. Um, is that on his resume? Do you think? I'm sure that's probably like top two or three. It's like, do you think uh, he has a resume? Do you think that's why he it'll, it'll didn't get? Right. A, is that why he didn't get a full time ride this Co- year? More so? than likely. Do you yeah. think, I'm sure do you think it's think right below exists. the Dale Coin racing. It's probably uh, <laughs> it's probably <laughs> IndyCar, you know, uh, towards the top, and then Auto Week intern. Uh, I hope our listeners are. There. We're serious. He did intern for us. He did. Yeah. A, he did a fine job. Uh, we have, he, uh, he was with us. Uh, we got the photography to prove it. And yep. I think there's some copy written around with uh, floating around with his uh, byline on it. Yep. All right. So uh, with that, I think we can transition into. Oh boy, is that is that Tony Kanan entering the studio right now? We'll just uh, no. I just we actually recorded this last week. Tony was cool enough to stop by the office in town uh, promoting the Detroit no the Chevrolet Detroit Belle Isle Grand Prix presented by Lear Duel in Detroit Duel in Detroit. Uh, Meryl Kane from Penske and from the uh, Grand Prix brought him by, uh, which was very cool. Appreciate that. Um, for a little conversation uh, that we will cut to right now. Uh, all right. We are joined here in the studio today with a very special guest, uh, Tony Kanan, uh, IndyCar driver for the number 14 AJ Foyt Enterprises. Team and we are also joined by Natalie Neff, executive editor. Mike Prison, what's your title, Mike? Motorsports editor. So you're here in <laughs> Man, Detroit. Everybody, everybody's important here. <laughs> yeah, that's I right. Feel pressure now. Yeah, yeah. You got the uh, the A team here. So you're here in Detroit. So what do you think so far? You've been doing interviews all day. They've been running around. Yeah, it's been you know I had a rough weekend this weekend in Alabama. Yeah. We had a bad race and they woke me up at five thirty today. I'll be doing interviews for the last six hours. <laughs> it's been great. You're feeling good. <laughs> it's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's not exactly the same as like the day after winning the Indy five hundred. No, well that that actually, but it justifies a little more, I would say. But no, I, I I'm kidding. Uh, you know, the day after the five hundred, I was so hungover that I don't even remember <laughs> half of the interviews that I did. I don't know if that was good. Or bad. But, yeah. You know, no, it's fun. I mean, I, I love this place. I mean, Detroit's been so good to me. I won three races here in the past few years: two Indy Lights races, one Indy Car race. So, uh, I had a pretty nasty accident here in too. Two thousand. Two thousand. Right? But uh, yeah. they treat me so well that four weeks later, I had a broken arm with seventeen screws on it, and four weeks later, I was back in the car. So I have yeah, Mero and his group. They do such a great job, but Dan Curry and, and Roger organizing this this race that it's you know it's worth it's worthwhile the effort to be here and then and promote the race and i get to do some cool stuff see here with important people right (laughs) talk about important stuff so this the track in detroit is not known as a favorite among drivers how do you prepare for something like that versus and i I think that's that's fair to say i can say that as a journalist yeah Um, the thing is you know i i I actually I disagree with those guys. It's not because I'm here and, and I'm promoting the race that I, sure. you know, trust me, if it was you, bad, I was You don't have to be nice to us. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think the drivers hate it because it's extremely bumpy and it yeah. has different types of, of, of surfaces from concrete to asphalt. To me, it's actually a characteristic of the track. And the guys that hate it, it's because they can't set up their cars as well as some other guys and they just want the easy smooth because the smoother the, the track is, 
the easiest for us to to set up the dampers sure. and the, because you don't have you know any changes it's so basic so i i like it i like it because then you have a chance to you know stand out you know you mm -hmm. can find i like to go around when we do track walks before we race and you look if there's any bumps that you can avoid so you do a different line and the guy won't do it and you can catch him and i I think it's a characteristic of it. Yes, it's a beat for us in our bodies, yeah. especially that we race twice mm -hmm. here. It's the only place that we come, and we have two full IndyCar races, one Saturday, one Sunday, but I don't dislike it. It's uncomfortable, sure, but I've never heard that a race car is comfortable. Right, right. <laughs> if you want to call, you got to buy something else. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Tony, if it makes you feel any better, the, the roads coming in are a lot worse than the track. I, I felt that, yeah. yeah. I mean, you guys, we said, feel you know, those every day. I think you're just keeping the pattern, right? So the racetrack <laughs> and the streets are exactly the same. Same crews, you know. Same yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the same guys. It's all the same guys. Yeah. <laughs> So speaking of road cars, speaking of something that's a little bit more comfortable, I don't know how much you're able to talk about, uh, but I saw on Tommy Kendall's Instagram the other day that he bought a pair of a set of HRE wheels yep. from you. Yep. That you had on a My C63. C63 Black Series. Yeah. So uh, I mean, me and Tommy, he's he's actually the real TK. You know, yeah. Right. The original. TK, yeah. <laughs> he's older, so they call him the real one. <laughs> yeah. I guess, which is nice because nowadays I'm the oldest guy in IndyCar, and they call me the old guy, but. He's the old TK, so I like that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we uh, we should obviously share passion of cars, and we actually have the same car. Uh -huh. I still have my Black Series, but I uh, I made a – now I have my own line of wheels. Oh, okay. It's the TK wheel, so I couldn't – and it's actually going, uh, you know, head-to-head -head with HRE, which to me was my favorite brand. Prior to. Prior to. Yeah. Now, Vossen <laughs> yeah. is my favorite brand. But yeah. They're local. They're Miami. I'm oh, okay. good friends with – with Jav and uh, we did a line of uh, TK wheels that are going to be launched that we launched at SEMA oh, last cool. year so then I had a set of wheels that I had to put up for sale I call Graham Rejo which is he's like car the, uh, fanatic, yeah you know. <laughs> owns every single car on earth <laughs> yeah because he can yeah and and we got the link so I sent Tommy the wheels cool so what what other road cars do you have well I, I have too many cars but I would say I have that's, that's oh, never that's, that's not CLK a, black series the c63 black series I'm, I'm kind of a Mercedes uh, type of guy when I not driving my company cars right but then um, uh, 480 Ferrari 488 my daily drive uh, one of my daily drives is an e63 uh -huh. I have a Ford Raptor then I have now my the new edition. I have the pace car when I won the 500 uh, Stingray, a Corvette Stingray, and I just bought the new Zero One. Oh wow! Which nice. I get delivered uh, uh, the the day after tomorrow. More power than your Indy car. That car has more power than my Indy car, and and some of the tr the track that I tested had a better handling as well. I have to say, wow. and yeah, that's why I bought it. Yeah, you were giving out rides at, in, what, in uh, Vegas, Vegas. Right? and yeah. I have to say, I mean, I I, and it's not because I race for Chevy. Yeah, uh, it's it's. Um, the fastest thing I've ever driven on the streets. Yeah. It's legal. Yeah. I, you know, and I, it hasn't been modified. I mean, the manufacturers are like, it's crazy because I remember, you guys remember, you know, we're all, back in the days, you buy a stock car and then you go and you do this, you do that to the engine, you do this. Yeah. The cars nowadays, they come with everything. The only thing I would do to that car is to put a, a set of TK wheels. But that's right. Just me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, so those are the cars that I have. Then we have a minivan because we have three kids. Uh, I was actually Jake Lingaman, who's not here. Our road test center was actually just down in um, was Road Atlanta. Is that right? Road Atlanta. Yep. Yeah. Driving. Yeah. They took those cars uh, after I tested. To I don't know how good that was because we <laughs> we beat them pretty bad. I think I think, and that's that's one thing they said on that 
on that drive, I think they had learned a lot about, especially about cooling from the Z06 program. Um, and Jector, Ted Jector, who's the head engineer at, at uh, Corvette, mm-hmm. was saying that they tested the car at 100 degrees and I think uh, 80% humidity or something like that. And it was making 755 horsepower. But he's like, it, when they went out on the track that morning, he said it was a little cooler. So they were probably making close closer to 800 horsepower. Yeah. yeah. Which is absolutely, absolutely nuts. And Jake said, uh, and I don't know, I don't know what your experience was, but he said it's the only car he's ever been in that he's made himself car sick while driving. Yeah. I mean, I made, you know, I obviously like, like, I was really impressed with the car, and I have to say, I don't have any reason that to buy the car just because I drive for Chevy. Mm-hmm. We don't get any discounts on that car because it's a hot car. It's not yeah, like oh, I got, does, right? no. So, I drove it. I said I gotta have it, and it's not just because of the performance. I mean, I I, I was really impressed that a car can be that powerful and can corner that fast, but it can still be a daily driver. Yeah. Because we're talking about cars, I'm not bashing any manufacturer, but you buy a Ferrari, which I have one, that that cannot be my daily drive. I sure. mean, my wife walks in and says, oh, this is so uncomfortable. Right. And it is. It's yeah. not a car that you go do a trip, a two, 300 mile trip. Yeah. Because it's noisy and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, well, it's a Ferrari, right? Yeah. They make, so, but that's, and that's the car that has everything, yeah. in my opinion. That I, 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 and then again, I'm getting delivery in two days, and that is going to be my daily drive all day long. Man. So, is there anything out there now? I remember reading. I think after uh, after the Indy, when you were re- you were talking about wanting to uh, get in a P1. Yeah. Uh, in the LaFerrari. Yeah. Uh, is there anything out there right now that you haven't driven that you would like to at least have a crack at, and maybe uh, not own, but no, no, I would say the car, which is funny, right? When you talk about cars, people think you're gonna go for the Bugatti, for the LaFerrari, sure. for the P1, and I found over the years that I don't know if there's intimidation of saying, "Am I gonna drive a 1.2 million dollar car every day and not be worried about where I'm yeah. gonna park?" So I'm, I don't know if I'm getting older and it is going more simpler, but I have more fun with. The Vets, the yeah. C63s, and the cars that, yeah, they're they're still expensive, but they're not a million-dollar cars, and the performance is actually almost the yeah, same. Right. But I would say one car that I must have, and then I will because, actually, I'm racing in Le Mans yeah. for Ford. Yeah, yeah. It's the Ford GT. Yeah. That, that's like, I have to have that car. That's uh, totally mind-blowing. And another car that I've driven that I said, this is a race car. The difference between the race car, I never driven the Corvette race car. Yeah. But because obviously I drive for Ford, but uh, on that, it's so similar. Yeah. It, it, but but again, it's it's the race car feels like a street car, so I can drive at a twenty four hour race and do triple stints and still feel very comfortable. Yeah. And the street car is exactly the same. So that's on the way. I I won't get mine until mid next year. Mm-hmm. Which, in a way, I think we all know, understand a lot about cars. You'd never, guys, we'd never want to get the first badge. Yeah, those first uh, early serial number cars, let those guys deal yeah, with that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of endurance racing, so you've you've had some success endurance racing yep. in the past. You won at Daytona. Won Daytona, yeah, and uh, Sebring. Sebring, yep. Um, and, and now you're going back to Le Mans this mm-hmm. year. Uh, talk a little bit about, I guess, what it would mean to kind of, uh, you've got the Indy win, you've got Daytona, you've got Sebring. You've got, those are some big name brand. Oh yeah, big time. I mean, to me, as a dream as a race car driver, apart from you know open wheel and talking about GT, we're not talking about NASCAR. I don't think I'm I'm gonna ever really go to the Daytona 500 and compete yeah. at this point in my career. But Le Mans was always a race that you know, growing up as a little kid, was one of the races that you want to do. I yeah. mean, you watch the F1 in Monaco, I watched the Indy 500. Yeah, 
I watched Daytona 24, Sebring, and Le Mans. Yeah. And to me, uh, when I got the opportunity to do that last year with a car that had won the previous year yeah. and uh, the history of the car, it was just so cool. Yeah. And, and to me, it was mind-boggling because you know, I accomplished a lot of things in my career. And at this point, people keep, you know, they keep reminding me how old I am and how old <laughs> I'm getting. It didn't have to actually cross my mind that I was going to get a, 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 that good of a chance to be there. Yeah. And, and you know, I was thinking about was something post my IndyCar career that I would probably pursue with a team. And, and the opportunity came because, obviously, I've done a pretty good job for them at Daytona. Mm-hmm. We raced there and in Bourdais. Sebastian Bourdais got hurt at the 500 qualifying last year, and they need a replacement, and I did. And then this year, one of the openings, uh, one of the drivers actually changed teams mm-hmm. on the WAC side because Ford has right. two cars in America and two cars in Europe, and the team, the European team, Ford recommended it for me to come back, so I'm really excited. I'm actually doing the spa race in Belgium in oh, two cool. weeks. It has been preparation mm-hmm. for it's a six-hour race. So I'm just going to get familiarized with the car again because I haven't driven since uh, Le Mans last year. But sure. it, it was mind-boggling. If it, I mean, if you're a race fan, you have to go to that venue. You have to go to the 500. I mean, you have. To, it's one of the things that. Kind and to win that, I cannot even imagine. Yeah. So I'll think about that when we do it. Right. <laughs> so the uh, and now I, I guess the difference. So the new Indy car obviously kind of went back to uh, the old Indy car. Right, right. Went back to the old IndyCar, right? Yeah. So reduced a little bit of downforce and, and made some aesthetic changes, obviously, that have been super well it received. Needed it. Yeah. it needed it. I think it, I can't speak for everybody, but growing up as a kid as an open wheel, open wheel cars don't have fenders, man. Right. I mean, it's. I understand it's dangerous, but yeah, it's been dangerous for 100 years. Right. And it's safer now, afraid, right? Yeah. Than it, it's a lot safer now, but, yeah. you know, motorsport's always going to be dangerous. If, if you think about it, I mean, if you're afraid to take risks, just go play something else yeah but, you know anyway but the car looks awesome i yeah. think the biggest thing you know people are talking about that we improve the product that we improve the you know the racing it's less downforce the drivers have to drive more yes those are all tr- true but to me the things that i think we attract more fans this year yeah is the indycar fan the hardcore indycar fans been a fan for years mm-hmm. 10 20 40 30, you know 30 40 years the way the cars look mm-hmm. now, the young kids are like, "That's sexy. That's good. That's appealing to them." That you know, these millennium guys are crazy. I have kids. I mean, my kid is 10, 10 years old and seems a lot smarter than me when I was twenty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think that's the appealing. The way it looks, it made a huge difference yeah. for sure. And the racing is a lot better. We had the first street course race that we had in St. Pete. We have seventy-four passes in one race, yeah. which is unheard of. It's like in the uh, past few 74 years. seasons of Formula One. Well, yeah. I'm not going to bash <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I think it's it's definitely a great product. I love the way it drives because I'm an old school guy. I used to drive a 1,000 horsepower and no downforce. So yeah. We don't have a 1,000 horsepower, but the bunch of downforce that they took off this year, yeah. it makes you feel you have a 1,000 horsepower. So, so do you think there's an advantage uh, being an old school guy, having some familiarity with, with that versus the kids who grew up? With the big yeah, to cars. me, I think it, a, a little bit, yes, uh, because it's just something that I've done for so long. Mm-hmm. But when you're a good race car driver, the, the young kids might struggle for the first three, four, five races, but they'll Figure be there. And by the time we come here in June, they'll, they'll be there. Yeah. You know, you're a good race car driver, you adapt. But for me, uh, I, I think I had a really hard time when we start going really high on the downforce and low on the power mm-hmm. because it was much easier to drive. So... The mistakes are very easy to recover, sure. so it was easy. 
Yeah. And and that made the field a lot. Like it wouldn't a good driver wouldn't really stand out. Yeah, right. And nowadays it's back to. So for me it was really hard to adapt to that. So there in there there's been a lot of discussion now and I know you you've expressed some uh, not willingness to, to to talk about uh Formula 1 negatively, but there's been uh, I think people looking back across the ocean at IndyCar saying this is more competitive racing. There's there's more variability. Are there lessons to be learned for other racing series, be it Formula One or, or anywhere else, from from the what you've seen in IndyCar? Well, I'm sure, and I'm sure we have things that they're not perfect, and we mm-hmm. actually try to, you know, look at them and copy them in a way. But I, I think, you know, Formula One has this mentality that technology and yes, and I agree, but I, I don't think. With the economy nowadays, especially in the series in the United States, sure. like IndyCar, we can't afford to have $200 million budgets. Right. We, we struggle to get a $5 million budget. Yeah. And it's more appealing. If we don't let the fans into the paddock uh, and to have access to us and we do autograph sessions, they won't come. It's mm-hmm. a different mentality. In mm-hmm. Europe, you can barely get a pass to get uh, on 100 feet of Lewis Hamilton and right. he probably even, even look you in the face, not because he's mean, it's just the mentality that they yeah. have. So I think they do should look at it because... I understand that they have a different product. Mm-hmm. I understand that it's a completely different way of racing and stuff. But I mean, as a fan, if watching the races like that, I mean, you don't see a pass. Right. I don't think it's fun, but that's my opinion. I mean, some people think, "Well, it's, but it's great. They spend three hundred million dollars and they have all this." Yeah, but if with all this technology, could you make? more passes a little right. bit you know what <laughs> right. I mean? just one how fun is it for a driver to if you're in a small team you know for a fact you're yeah. starting your year you're never going to win a race in your career in formula one I, I wouldn't like to do that myself right just to tell just to say well i'm a formula one driver right. I, i've always raced to win and then i don't care what anybody any driver says doesn't matter what race it is. If you're winning, it's always fun yeah. even if it's a go-kart race in the parking lot it's still uh it's it's fun yeah you know you know, we talked a little bit, I think, about the uh, the danger in motorsports earlier. In in, I think you, you were you were kind of on the the end of you know if, if if you don't like the danger, if if you don't like that aspect of it, go do something else. And I, I think you know we've talked previously with other race drivers too. I th- I think you know not to make a generalization, but it seems like everyone we've talked to processes that aspect of motorsports differently certainly than we do certainly than we as fans or as you know white collar typists kind of process that what what you know and i was reading too uh, your your pre your pre-nap ritual or pre-race ritual of taking a nap new garden has said the same thing that is absolutely mind-blowing to me so talk talk i guess is there a difference in in a racer's brain? Is there is there? Oh, it's it's hard for me to answer that question because I've never thought differently. You've always had the same right? brain. Yeah, my brain like my brain started to function since I was eight years old the way it functions now. So I don't know. Right. I will try to answer you, but I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, it, 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 it it to me, it it's something that like obviously when i was eight or much younger you take more risks or you don't some things don't cross your mind you start getting older you're having kids and this and that but you can't let that affect you and then i think a lot of guys during the course of their careers i have an example of a a very successful race car driver jill deferrin that retired when he was 40 on top of his game he won his last race yeah but then two years later had to make a comeback yeah because then he missed that and then so 
I think at the time he was thinking, now I have kids, I have plenty of money, I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy them. And then all of a sudden he goes, no, but that's not really what I want to do. So we, we are, I think we are wired differently. Mm-hmm. I again, I will try to answer the question as best as I can. It's just it doesn't. It, it, not once in my career, before I got in the car, I said, man, I have a chance not to get out of this car. Mm-hmm. I'm aware of that, but I'm fine with that. Right. Right. So, and you take that away from me, I'll be probably the most miserable person you can probably meet. Yeah. So, I love what I do. It's uh, it's very selfish of me because now I have a family, I have kids. But that's that's Tony. There yeah. was Tony prior to my kids. There was Tony prior to I, I met my wife. Yeah. She met me. I was doing this. She knew this. what she was getting into. So yeah. that's it. I mean, it is. Obviously, you don't try to be responsible. I'm not going to be 60 years old with, like, bifocals trying to drive (laughs) but no we don't think about it and we i mean i lost plenty of friends over the course of my career and recently we can name people that are greg moore Mm -hmm. Ayrton senna Mm -hmm. you know friends friends but you know if you talk to any one of them he would say if i died today would you like me to quit Mm -hmm. i would say no what i want you to do is to get back in that thing and yeah and go do it again yeah you know and then that's just the way we are yeah I think I think there is something to you know if you, if you talk to stick and ball athletes even and, and obviously they're putting very little at risk you know maybe a, a knee here or a, a, an arm there but the way they even process the pressure thing so the the idea of even if there was no danger involved in motorsports the idea of going out there and, and competing in front of you know sometimes hundreds of thousands of people on TV everything else would absolutely shake a, a normal person to the core. But you hear people talk about making those clutch free throws or or uh, making, you know, uh, uh, the last pitches in a baseball game or going up to bat with a chance to win a baseball game and not feeling anything. Yeah, but, you know, any I can assure you that any any one of you, anybody is able to take the pressure. It's just it's how bad you want it yeah. to take the pressure yeah. and how bad you need it. Yeah. Because once you're there, you make you made the choice. You're around four hundred thousand people, and you have to race. Yeah, you're gonna go race, man. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, I'm not saying that you know you're not gonna see me before the five hundred, thinking that yeah, we're here having a chat. Yeah, I'll, I'll take an <laughs> I'll take a quick nap to try to calm myself okay. down. But I get nervous every race. Don't yeah. take me wrong. I have this butterfly in my stomach, and some of worse than the others. I have no control of that. I don't know why. Some days, I'm I was starting. That last in Barber last weekend, and I was more nervous than when I was on the pole in the Indy 500. Ask me why? I have no, no idea. idea. But that feeling, it's a good feeling. Yeah. I love that feeling. I mean, I love being nervous. I love being like trying to go to bed and like, man, I can't. And then you wake up at two in the morning thinking at seven, and then you wake up at three thinking <laughs> at seven. I just, I live for that. So I guess it's addicting. Yeah. I guess it's something that we just, and to be honest, I mean, I think. For a race car driver, for us, it's easier because I don't hear 400,000 people screaming because we have a helmet and an engine. Maybe in a stadium will be different yeah. if I could hear the pressure. I don't know. I, I love basketball. I'm a big fan of basketball. And I go to the games and I see these people cursing at the, the players and yeah. I, I would be like, Right. <laughs> so, but I guess not because they don't do it because they, they try to block it out. They block it out. And, and, and so we don't hear that. I yeah. mean, I see the people, but I don't hear them. Right. But, you know, my biggest fear after I won the 500 in 2013 was. My biggest fan base was it, it's always been at the Indy 500 because either f- people felt compelled that I tried so many times and never won. Right. So the year that I won, the day after, I told my wife, I said, "What about next year? Do you think they're still going to be here for me? <laughs> they're going to just go pick the next guy that needs to win." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Tony, that 2013, I mean, that's going to be 
your label forever. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, you probably how many days in a week do you still get introduced as the Indy 500 winner? You know, I mean, that's got to be cool. That, that's the only way I get introduced nowadays even when you talk about and, yeah, 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 a race car driver. It's like it's not even like my name comes right after that. And and it was obviously it's a great win, no matter the way you put it. But my my history with with that place was always so brutal, you know. And and it's funny because. I'm talking to journalists, but you guys love to write stuff and st statistics and this. And I was very well known by then, the one of the greatest that never had won sure. or never is going to win the Indy 500. I've heard that plenty of times. And every every year I came back, there says, so is this your year? I said, guys, it's always going to be the year. Even right. if I won six, seven times, we don't come here not to win. And the way that whole month went for me i mean if you guys want to talk about it we can yeah. uh it was very special you know and and because it was that was my last year of my contract uh, i was racing for a very small team we got to the point that before the 500 my team owner said this is will be our last race of the season we're not even going to finish the season because we don't have enough sponsorship so i said you know what I've never enjoyed the 500 the way it should be. I should be enjoying. Um, I've always went there with a lot of pressure. Big teams. You have to win. You have a chance to win. You get starting on the pole. You let every single time you've been here. Blah. And I didn't enjoy my fans. I was very nervous talking about being nervous. So I said, you know what? I'm going to enjoy it. I've enjoyed every parade that we did, every autograph session. Every time I was at the racetrack, I spent a lot of time. We have community days. They bring kids. And, and it was so... Like it was, you know, it's one of those things, it's cliche to say, but you know when you relax and things happen? Mm -hmm. And it happened, man. And that made me continue my career in IndyCar. That changed my life. So after that Indy 500, and I, I think we're running a little bit short on time, take us through, you walk off the the podium after accepting uh, the, uh, the milk, trophy. The, the milk, and having the, milk everywhere, right? Yeah, they don't have, yeah, the trophy is like a, a fake, fake, like there's no trophy, it's a milk. Yeah, yeah, okay, get, yeah, right. And then you, you get the trophy later. The trophy is too Yeah, the big. trophy, it's they enormous. keep telling you that's your trophy. Yeah, right. Which I, it's too long to tell, but I have another story about that. My, my son thought I was taking that home, and right. when I brought it home, the little one is like, that's the baby wrong. Boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway. So well, you, well, TV makes everything bigger. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> See, guys, my nose is not big. It's the <laughs> yeah, TV. Yeah. yeah, it's actually very small. We're here in the studio. <laughs> thank you, it's thank totally, you, thank yeah. you, thank you. So you don't get the Borg Warren trophy, you get milk. What milk did you choose? Uh, Non-fat. Non-fat milk, of yeah, course. Of yeah, course. Fit guy, right? Yeah, well. Uh, triathlon. Triathlon. You can't yeah. spoil that with a uh, uh, little milk after no. the, the race. So you go get cleaned up, then what? What No, happens? you don't. You don't? That's the problem, right? So, so they take you right to the media center. So I made a mistake as a rookie. I shouldn't call myself a rookie, but I pour milk. Everywhere. Everywhere. Like, yeah. hey. So, yeah, they give you a towel. Uh-huh. But a towel, <laughs> you like just wipe the milk <laughs> off of your face and you go to the media center, and so let's say the race finished at three o'clock, yeah. which is usually about right. About right. Yeah. I did not. So you go to the media center, you talk to every journalist, then you start to do the media tour right after that. So from three, I came back to my bus at nine p.m. Oh, trust me, you didn't want to. You did not want to be around me. Yeah. And 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 it's gross because <laughs> at one point I was live on. Uh, one of the TV shows, and then uh, they gave me a headphone, and I took the headphones off, and I said, like, my ear is itching. And then I, to, I went to itch my ear, and I had dry milk uh, <laughs> inside my ear that had gotten dry. That's, so uh, Non-fat probably was a pretty good choice. Yeah, it was actually yeah. a good choice because it smelled a little Way, bit better yeah. than the whole milk. 
But it was that it, I tell all my friends that drivers, if you win the five hundred, do not pour milk in your hand. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so from three to nine o'clock, it's a nonstop. Then you go the next morning, you have to be up at six a.m. Uh, for a photo. So, oh, that, that's the photo you're kissing the bricks, right? Yes. Then, yeah. yeah. So six a.m. and you can't party at all. In well, between. I did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. I went nine thirty. I took a shower. I went out. Uh, this is a tradition. We we. We celebrate the win and we celebrate to forget. Uh-huh. So you had 32 drivers pissed uh-huh. and one driver happy. That was me that night. And uh, Dario Franchitti, Scott Dixon, and all those guys got me pretty pretty drunk. That's okay. Which I don't remember what time I got back to my bus. That's good. Which I think I only slept an hour. That's enough, right? Maybe. I, I mean, with kid, I didn't have any. I had one kid at the time. Now it's actually plenty. Right, that's a lot. Plenty. Yeah, it's a I really mean, good I'm night's fully sleep. Fully trained. Right. So yeah, and then you go do. So then you go kiss the bricks, take the picture with every single sponsor that wants to take a picture. So uh-huh. That's a four-hour ordeal. Ordeal. Then you get on a plane and you go to New York. So and then you do you do like the, uh, the morning all shows the morning shows, and, yeah. and then you do the, you used to do Letterman, and then then Thursday you come here. Uh huh. Trashed. Yeah. Still. So watch, watch, get my status, see where I started this race after I won the five. It was 19th. Yeah. It was only 20 cars right. because I couldn't punch it. <laughs> but you know what? I did not care. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, uh, you'll be coming back this year after uh, probably, uh, hopefully, another Indy 500 win. We hope so. Yeah. What are you excited about? Do you get to stick around Detroit at all? Do you get to? No, that's a you're bad pretty much part. in and out, right? I mean, it's it's you know people think we we have a lot of fun, but we just come in and we stay usually to stay at the track yeah. in the bus. And I, by the time business. I get into Belle Isle on Thursday, uh-huh. I never get out until Sunday night. Wow! So. But I got to do a lot of fun stuff here in the past. I went to the Detroit Pistons game. Sure. Yeah. Uh, to the Chevy, uh, they have a, a testing ground, proving ground, yeah, proving yeah. ground here, which we. You know, we get to beat some cars there. Yeah, I got actually, I got kicked out of it. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, they're they're very strict with their policies of donuts. Uh huh. Not eating donuts, but doing donuts doing in the car. The and I didn't know, and I did the donut, and I got. That seems unfair to me. Yeah, I should, I said the same thing. Can to we talk guy. to them? Is there someone we can talk to? Yeah. Probably relax that policy but a little bit. I'm just thinking, Rory, that you live like one block away from. That's correct. The island, so maybe. I, yeah, I could sneak walk in. Walk across the bridge. Yeah. and party at Rory's house. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm literally. Maybe a quarter mile from no the way. track. Yeah. yeah, last night when I flew in, I actually saw it from yeah, yeah, that's, from the plane. That's a really yeah, that's a really and it's a uh, makes the city look fantastic on TV. Obviously, I don't know. You probably never seen the TV broadcast, right? Or, no, actually, my wife actually works on the TV broadcast. Oh no, here kidding, from Detroit. But so no, I don't watch my own races. Right, why I'm racing? That'd, that'd be <laughs> like kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably dangerous. Yeah, I'm on camera, guys. So I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. Uh, thank you so much for coming by. Oh, it was fun. Thank you. The Chevrolet Detroit Belle Isle Grand Prix presented by Lear. Good job. That's pretty good, right? Oh. He did not read anything. I can tell you this. I can't. I can barely read. So that's uh, <laughs> me neither. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, that is the weekend after the Indy 500, which June first, second, and third. June first, second, and third. Tony, thank Team, you. Teamwork. Bro. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. Teamwork. <laughs> I would have never remembered that. <laughs> Uh, thanks again for coming by. We appreciate it. It was um, fun. Thank you, guys. I'd like to add uh, I'm Jake Lingaman uh, in, in the studio Oh, yeah. Now. Jake's here now. Uh, Graham's here. This other guy came. Graham's here. Jimmy's still here. We're going to talk about beer. track day and beer. 
separately. Those two do not go together. No. Although, you know, beer's at the yeah, end of the track the day. Yeah, yeah, beer yeah. at the end. Yeah, beer yeah. Great. Happen it's at the end. end. Yep. So, Jake, uh, Jimmy, and I attended a track day that I've been hearing about since I was just a wee lad at Groton Raceway, Groton Raceway up in Grand Rapids, down in Grand Rapids, depending on where you're coming from. West of Grand Rapids. Yeah. I think it's technically, I think it's technically Groton. Groton. But it's right next to Belding. It's in Belding. Which Michigan. is just south of Greenville. It's by Grand Rapids. Yeah. Anyway, cool, amazing track. Never been there before. Like I said, I've been hearing about this since I was a child, this this very track day and trying to get to it. But it, it is it was a really, really fun day. Took our long-term Mustang GT track pack. Mm-hmm. We took Jake's 2015? 14. 14. Long, long-term tester. Yeah, <laughs> Jake's personal car. Yep. Jimmy was an instructor. He got very motion sick doing that. Yeah, I had a couple students, uh, one after the other, who did make progress. Yeah, uh, toward which was awesome. That's why you're there towards the end of the second day, which was pretty sweet. I actually told the guy um, that the first day I got car sick because of how jerky it was. Yeah, and then at the end of the second day, I got car sick because of how quiet I could be. Yeah, um, I get car sick anyway. So, but if I yell a lot, then it goes away. But if I'm quiet, because they're doing just fine yep. then that's kind of a good indicator that huh. they can go on their own interesting yep. so either way um the track itself is just such a cool little i guess it isn't that little it's two miles it feels, yeah it feels shorter it's pretty tight yeah it's pretty tight but it's got actually it actually has a pretty long straightaway you know i've been in some cars that have reached like 165 almost 170 miles an hour by the braking zone mm. which is pretty cool and then the back end is just this awesome complex of elevation change blind apexes you know late apexes early apexes off camber turns off very off camber turns the one jump i feel like you're gonna roll down jump. the hill <laughs> yeah. oh yeah and a jump yeah and there's yeah. a one one where you actually the best way to you know there are a couple ways to, to drive most of those turns and but the one where you kind of fall off which is turn three well, i mean one of the best ways to go around there is you let the car just kind of fall off yeah and you let the rear end come off of the hill and it kind of positions you better f- to go into four mm. so it was a hoot i have not been on a racetrack at all in a couple two, years three probably. years yeah so I was a little apprehensive about doing it again. It was not something that I ever considered myself to be good at. But it looked like you were doing fine out there. Oh, like I was ripping. ripping. Man, are you kidding me? Clipping and ripping. I was ripping, man. Jake what? couldn't keep up with me. I was running away from, from everybody. It was great. Well, um, you joined the novice group to start, which may have been a bad call. On bad call. Part. Yeah. yeah. I, and like I said, I hadn't been on a track in two years, so I was kind of like, yeah. let's start better to start below your than than, get kicked down yeah Uh, yes yes it looks much better yeah Yeah. so i I graduated but it it was a good time there were some really really fast guys out there some really cool car i mean there was like a a plymouth sport fury a 67 uh there was like a square bird thunderbird and there were also the cool thing too was you know when i was in that novice group looking around the room at all these people who had never been on a track before and they were out there to to experience and try it out and that's really really cool like put on by the audi club i think one of the people there was like a 50 year old woman in an a3 automatic (laughs) like just you know just wanted to go drive on a racetrack it was it was actually really funny because we were in the kind of ground school thing in the beginning and the instructor was like talking about merging coming onto the track and he was like yeah you know you'll want to check your mirrors and make absolutely sure that no one's behind you when you merge onto the track from the straight because they're going to be going like 130 miles an hour. And she was like, 
uh, excuse me? <laughs> and he was like, uh, what? And she's like, uh, you said they were going to be going uh, 130 miles an hour. People don't really drive that fast out here, do they? And he was like, well, yeah, that's that's kind of the point. It's <laughs> kind of the whole point. But she was just like, you could. there was this realization like, oh, I didn't realize. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> realize. Oh, no. But yeah, it was, it was cool. There was, you know, there were a bunch of, like I said, the novice group was really packed full of, of brand new people, which was awesome to see. There's really a well-run event without getting too kind of particular, I guess, the, some of that stuff. You can get to it where it's a little bit like a Boy Scout event where it's just not fun. Yeah, and I, I think that one of the cool things about that event, and I, I know that there are other track days that are like this, but, you know, you don't get the kind of like, you know, the, the time. You're actually kind of discouraged to, to time, time yourself. Yeah. And, you know, that competition isn't really, I mean, it's there. It, it'll always be there, but it yeah. isn't really a, the primary focus. And for, at that, the primary focus is to, learn the track and learn how to drive and mm-hmm. learn your car better. And I think that that just makes it a lot more fun for everybody. Yeah. And I have i don't think I've ever really seen anyone aside from having like a breakdown or something, yeah. which is not fun, but not enjoy themselves yeah. or not have a good time. Yeah. yeah. One thing that did happen, Jimmy kind of alluded to or gave me an opening to talk about, and I will be very straightforward about it. Like I said, had a great time on the track. Felt like I was learning the track getting quicker and and really kind of surprised myself with how much I remembered about driving on a track. One thing I did not remember is how fast you burn gas going on a racetrack. Yeah, so it's, I, uh, <laughs> it's a rookie move. Yep. It's a rookie move. Yeah. <laughs> Final session of the day, I uh, got in the car. I think Jimmy had just taken it. And, and this is, again, a, a you know, that Mustang we have, the GT. Jimmy and I drove that back-to-back pretty much all day Saturday. No cool-off. Jimmy got out of the car, I got in the car, and went back out, you know, maybe five minutes between, and the car ran awesome. Never got hot, brakes never went away. I mean, it was just, like, totally reliable, totally took every bit of abuse we could throw at it. Yeah, I mean, totally, totally ready to go. I mean, the Mustang was ready to go. I'm I'm always surprised by, like, how many mostly stock newer cars you see out there that are just absolutely flogged. Yep. And they totally fine. drive them home, yep. and maybe they flush the fluid, the brake fluid, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, this, the, the best thing about the, these track days is, I mean, it's, and I think that even if you don't think you would like it, you should try it. Yeah. Because I think it's when you actually get out there and realize how much fun it is in a safe environment. You're not racing. You're not wheel to wheel in the corner or yeah. anything like that. You got instructors. And it makes it so fun, even in, in an A3 and, yeah, yeah. In, in a whatever. But yeah, yeah, that Mustang, 460 horsepower, the new one, uh, 420 yeah. torque, Michelin Pilot 4S tires, yep. which did great. Roy says, actually, like the newest generation. Um, but yeah, like you said, if you, you ripped on it all day, and those we didn't do anything to the car. We were going to yeah. change your brake fluid, but, but we didn't. But it came with that four from the factory. It, it came with that four, so we just ran it as is, and it, like you said, ran flawlessly. Back to back, too, which is yeah. not something we would recommend. No, normally do, yeah. Um, yeah. And really, like, not that we were racing again, but the cars that I was running down on the track, much more expensive cars, mm. much more. And it probably came down a lot of it to drivers who are less experienced with track time or whatever. Mm. But even on straights, 
that car was running away from very, very expensive cars. Cars that you would think would be more performance-oriented than a stock Mustang. It also just sounds good. It sounds awesome. I mean, it, it sounds I'm better than to, the Camaro because there was yeah, an SS yeah. out there, a new uh, 18 SS, which was very fast. That, yeah. that, that Camaro, though, is, is probably about, about three seconds faster than the Mustang. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, mean, that chassis is three seconds better than the Mustang chassis, but the new Mustang chassis with the independent, very good, very yeah. solid, very planted. Well, I think that was the bigger difference. I mean, especially in that little track, that's the difference between your car and in that yeah, car definitely and that's why the new car is so much faster because there are points in that track where you really benefit from being able to keep the car planted in unsettled type yep situations yep. where you're cutting curves and you know if you can maintain traction and put power down yep you'll go faster yeah the the first second i never been to the track either so the first 20 minute session i mean kind of just learning the course my instructor was jeff harris yeah. uh was very good uh i, I was you know, the, literally the first two laps, I did, had, didn't know where the course went at all. Like, people were just blowing by me. I was just letting them go, letting them go. By the end of the first 20-minute session, I kind of had the track down. Second 20-minute session started getting faster. And then third session, I felt like I was, I was moving pretty good. He said, uh, you're good to go solo at this point. And I was really, really going for it. And that last little section, you kind of go uphill to a little S-turn onto the front straight. And you can kind of go flat out. Once you kind of get the, yeah. the line down, you can go flat out. Um, it's all blind. Um, and that just feels so good to kind of bounce left, bounce right, and then bounce left again onto the front straight, flat out up to, I don't know, I saw 135 or something yeah. like that. But I was I was joking with these guys about the thing about blind corners is that if you miss them, it's like, well, it was blind. How was I supposed to even yeah. know where the apex is? But when you hit them, you feel like a hero. You feel yeah. like a champion. About that. Anyway, uh, so track day was awesome. We also, after the track day, what's better at the end of a track day than a two-and-a-half-hour drive home? Uh, no, then a beer, a yep. cold, cold beer, best enjoyed in the comfort of your garage. I thought for sure you're gonna say the comfort of your car. I thought for sure, best yeah. enjoyed in the comfort of the driver's well, seat. Well, uh, uh, it's illegal. We're not allowed to have fun. Uh, uh, so Gestapo that runs this country. <laughs> yeah. So we have to drink in the garage. But stemming from a debate that we had, I think, starting on this show, maybe, uh, maybe it got cut. And then kind of continuing back into the office, we decided to hold a beer tournament, a beer, garage beer tournament, March Madness-style tournament. It took place on Twitter over the last two weeks. We started with a field of 16 of our favorite beers to consume in the garage. And we are down to the final two. Uh, voting is actually happening right now. So if you're listening to this, Live. Uh, live, which would mean you're in the room here and haven't voted, then uh, go vote. No. By the time you hear this, it'll be settled. It'll be over. Uh, we will have crowned a champion right now uh, with 52% of the vote. Our overall number one seed, Miller High Life, leads overall number two seed, Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. You know, these uh, are two expected. These, I think these are two expected champions. Yeah. I mean, they played great all season. You know, yep. they didn't really stumble at all. Um, they've been good for years. Yep. So. It was kind of surprising. I didn't really see that coming down to the, the final. Well, well, I think a lot of it is brand recognition. You had, you had some beers coming out of the West Bracket that are big, powerhouse, known brands in certain areas. But I think Coors. Miller Coors entered two, two beers, uh, Miller High Life and Coors uh Banquet, Coors Light, I believe, was in early, and, and Coors Banquet and Coors Light actually played each other in the first round. Uh, High Life's looking like it's going to be the it's leading right now in the final match. There, you know, Alex Nunez, friend of the show, 
when we first did this said it's a charade and I believe he said charade. A charade. He it's said this whole thing is a joke and you know Miller High Life's gonna win. Why are you even doing this? Soothsayer. Yep. So here we are two weeks later. Yeah. Uh unknown, un- untold amounts of effort. I mean, geez, we had the whole staff working twenty hour days to pull off this tournament here. I mean, think of all the votes we had. I mean, maybe 100,000, like 175,000 votes. Oh, a day, yeah. 300-some-thousand 300 yeah. votes above. Yeah. yeah. We're almost to a million votes now. So uh, Yeah, per day. That's, uh, I mean, that's, it deserves to win. I hope it does win. Always been a huge fan of the high life. Uh, even, you know, we used to, it was, we called it the champagne. You got you get any champagne of beers yeah. for tonight, and we, we would do it. That's a great tagline. We should, should call yeah, it that. We should yeah. let them know. Yeah. You know, the. The interesting thing this year, I think, with the tournament, too, is there were some efforts, uh, outside influence, uh, trying to kind of subvert uh, democracy. I saw some people jumping in late in uh, rounds, trying to to garner uh, last-minute votes, bribes. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Disgusting. I mean, obviously, just (laughs) disgusting uh, behavior. Um, We contacted contacted Twitter support. Mm contacted the FBI multiple times. Everybody knows if you run into trouble on Twitter, con- contact the FBI. They will investigate it right away. And, and um, we had uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers doing all yep. the tallying, so we know that's They square. knew, yeah. yeah. But we did see, like I said, uh, we contacted Twitter support. Unfortunately, because we're not a white supremacist account, uh, Twitter support would not help us. Mm. Um, so, like I said, we're, we're anticipating Unless there's a late upset. Oh, man. That would oh, be exciting. Oh, man. Would there, would exciting. What if we get on this? You know, like you go to bed at an election night and you're like, oh, yeah, so-and-so's got it locked up. And you wake up the next morning and it's yeah. a totally different world. That could happen to us. I mean, what do you say? So it ends in three and yeah. a half hours. Maybe I'll throw out a couple of tweets right now. Say, just go vote. I'm not trying to sway it at all, but just, just go vote. You know, we could um, actually, one thing we could do is just continue this episode. Until five o'clock? Yeah. So just count it down. Only another three and a half hours. I mean, we've got the editorial meeting coming up. We could do that live. Yeah. We'll do that live. Oh, man. And then, what a peek behind the curtain that would be. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so the Garage Beer Tournament, uh, wrapping up as we speak, it's... Uh, I want to thank all the participants again. Um, boy. You know, to the losers, you know, talk to your coaches, maybe uh, 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 draw out some stuff for next year. Uh, we're definitely going to do this yearly, though. That's the plan, right? And Yeah. But I, I think, too, uh, we don't want to forget our sponsors the people who paid millions to see this happen every year and who frankly this couldn't happen without uh so i i do appreciate like i said uh our sponsors i want to thank you for putting your neck on the line for believing in uh amateur beer tournaments Mm. and uh so thank you to to the uh, <laughs> well, I have to cut that one out. But uh, <laughs> thank you to the sponsors. Uh, what's that? Miller High Life will be the sponsor. Miller High Life has not given us Jack. That's the thing. They're going to win this. They, uh, I think they liked one of this my. It's all a ploy to begin with. No, they. You know what? <laughs> no. Uh, no, it no. started as a joke and then got really serious. Yeah, yeah. but they're going to want to pay. Retro. In the, no, and they're, when they when they're doing their garage beer culture themed ads, they're going to want to put the Auto Week stamp on that. Yeah, and that's well, that's true. Thankfully, garage beer is a trademarked term that we own uh, exclusive rights to. So, you it, sure? Yeah. We, oh, okay. Pretty sure. You sure. We yeah. probably want to get on that if it isn't. No, it is. Okay. Definitely don't look into it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do not look into that. Yeah. Anyway, 
Go ahead, Jake. I was gonna, uh, also sponsored by uh, Tipsy McStaggers, uh, sixteen ounce glassware. Um, yeah. We appreciate all your help on that. Uh, it's the uh, the best glassware for garage beers. Although we do not recommend glass no, in the garage, as we talked about before. Yeah, you should definitely be drinking out of yeah. a can in the garage. Uh, but if you did, uh, Tipsy uh, McStaggers glassware. Um, but anyway, that's the garage beer tournament. I think we've probably spent enough time talking on that. We'll we'll dedicate the full hour uh, next time to it. Well, when we, we, we got to play. Uh, one shining, one shining moment. moment. Yeah, one shining yeah. moment. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we should yeah. actually do a post garage beers cover of one shining moment where we all sing. That would be good. Yeah. What's what's one shining moment? Come on. Uh, Jimmy went to art school. Oh, um, there you go. So no, they didn't have at the new school. The the new school college basketball team never made the tournament. Yeah, I don't. Think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they ever made a tournament. Uh, at the end of every year at the tournament, they have like a championship montage with the champion team, and they play one shining. It's moment. so stupid. It's, it's, it is it's the, a CBS thing, I think. Yeah, it is for, absolutely for the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I hate it. Even if my team, the beleaguered uh, Michigan State Spartans, were to win it again, I would hate watching one shining moment. It's dumb. They should cancel it. Anyway, it's tradition. It sucks. That song sucks. The montage sucks. Um, they Should don't. I play it right now? No. Do no. they? Uh, you know, I wouldn't mind hearing it. That's okay. Okay. Uh, I don't know if legally. What else? Yeah, you know, we can do whatever we want. This is journalism. What? Uh, what else do we have to cover here on this list? I know uh, we have a little agenda, but it didn't get printed out this time, so I'm. I'm. Uh, my phone's dead. Fortune 911. Ah, yes, and a car review. Two car, car uh, so We're gonna bring Robin back. Um, Robin Warner. Oh, when you he, said 9-11, I was thinking of Rory's Frankenstein. Jesus, no. We're not talking about that this today? No. Okay. Next week, we'll come back to that. No, the brand new 9-11. Okay, yeah. yeah. Brand new 9-11. GT3? Uh, RS. Yeah. Does, does this mean that I can go? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Just spent 15 minutes talking smack off air. So oh. we, we just... Uh, it's just weird how it worked out, but it was basically... One week we were in a Corvette, and the next week we we're in the in a Porsche. That's the editorial we, because you were in the Porsche. Yes, and Jake was in the Corvette. Correct. Yeah. See, and it wasn't just any Corvette. Now was it? We talked a little bit about this. We did. We talked about it last week. The ZR1. We couldn't talk driving impressions because the embargo hadn't broken yet. <laughs> so, um, what is your impression? Uh, uh, very fast. I don't remember if I said it last time that it's the only car I've ever got sick in. It's like you made your sick while well driving. Sick driving. While driving, yeah, yeah. I made myself sick and while driving. By the by, the end of the day, like the last, like I think we did like five sessions, five six laps apiece. Um, I was just really beaten on it at, at Road Atlanta. With I don't know if you guys are familiar, there's a nice uphill S section where you have so much grip that I was just just yanking the wheel back and forth and and just sticking. And like I said in my story, the car is flat. And it corners super fast, and the tires are super sticky, so your body just moves back and forth, you know, yeah. as you're jerking it around. Um, I would have loved a harness or a race seat in the, in the thing, but like it was kind of warm out, and I like got out, like taking my helmet off as I'm getting out, like, oh, okay, we done for the day, that's good. I'm gonna take my jacket off and stuff. It was, uh, it's amazing. The brakes, uh, car with brakes, amazing. My favorite thing about any car, I think, is brakes. After I got my whole Mustang brake thing kind of sorted out, just love. Good brakes because they just make up for all the bad driving that you can handle. Yeah. You know, when you say when you say good brakes, now I'm you're I'm getting a little engineering here. But mm, when you say good brakes, are you talking about braking power or brake pedal feel? Uh, both, 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 both. Okay. At, like at, that confidence at the end of Road Atlanta or the end of the back straight at Road Atlanta. I mean, I was up to like 150 ish. I know 
uh, and they kind of slowed us down. It could have been up to 170 for sure. But I was kind of breaking later and later and later down that last hill before the chicane. And I, I never had a moment where I thought I might go off course, like 10 feet more, 10 feet more, 10 feet more. And just like a little bit harder on the brakes, a little bit harder on the brakes. Even when the guy in front of you like hits his brakes hard, you see the brake lights and your, your instinct is like hit him right then. You got to wait like another 10 feet or another 15 feet and hit him yourself. And God, it just... They can. There's nothing. I mean, they can make up for almost any amount of bad driving. Like I said, even uh, in our drifting adventure yesterday. But we're not talking about that. Yeah, that's under embargo. Yeah, real quick. Braking power. That's ninety-five percent tire. Okay. Well, uh, between the feel uh, and the tire and the uh, and the discs, um, that's yeah. good. So, oh, did you want a longer version of that? Well, well please, please no. Yeah, yeah. no. no. So that is interesting. Hold on. So the. Um, that is obviously the tire is is a, a huge factor. I would not have guessed it's that big of a factor. So you're saying, as why long, even get the carbon strip? As long why as don't we just get like a drum. As long as the brakes have enough force to lock the tire, right? Yeah, then of that's, course. That makes then sense. Any, yeah. it's it's how far you could decelerate before the tire starts locking. That's all tire. Yeah. Okay. And once you're locked, and the tire's kind of skirting down er, 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 that's yeah. all tire the brakes all it's doing is having enough force to hold it there well, that makes so sense. but that's a good question there said why even go with the carbon ceramics because all you need the power to stop the tire because those tires have so much grip right two things uh carbon ceramic brakes way less than iron brakes they look cool so it's lower rotating expensive. mass and all that kind of stuff it's more yeah bragging rights and also uh they have better capacity to right. hold heat and deal with the heat and they can operate at hot Higher operating temperatures. Right. So they, right. they look cooler. And, and they, they look squeak, cooler. Squeak like hell, so everybody yeah. knows you spent money on the car. Exactly. Yeah. All those things that the other people said. Yeah, so, and, and that's and they're so freaking expensive. If you were buying a track car, Robin, would you get the carbon ceramic brakes, or you want something you can replace cheaply and easily? If I was getting a track car, I'd have to sell my house first. So it would depend on how much I got for my I'm house. I'm saying, if you're getting, you know... Well, it's funny you say that because on the Porsche 911 GT3 RS drive that I was on the following week. So um, hold on. Now, to introduce this car. Wait, wait. I got a question. I got two questions about the the Corvette before we go into the. Yeah. Okay. Unless we're going to go back and forth. Go ahead, Graham. So first of all, you remember if we talked about this last time, you drove drove the manual. Yeah. And you liked it, but you had a couple problems with. Because there's seven, seven, seven. Yeah, feet, so there's, did, I think we did talk did about you? this. Okay. I think we did because uh, another, the other, the Z06 has the same seven speed. Yeah. Although I never drove it on a track, but yeah, going from, and way better than the old uh, fifth to second. I mean, it's not going to blow your car up if you accidentally go from third to seventh, uh-huh. like fifth to second would. But yeah, going from third trying to hit. Oh, I'm sorry, one, two, three. Going from four trying to hit five. Um, I hit seventh several times missed a few times uh-huh. and this is at like you know shifting at 150 trying to get that or 130 trying to get that last like yeah 100 yards quarter mile or whatever done with the straight done and a couple of times it was like boo 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 you know hear the engine revving yeah. and i'm sure on the camera a couple of times they'd be camera up me going like fuck shit like er, 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 and jam, jamming you at should it. learn how to drive a stick i know i yeah. know that's the problem i can we'll teach you later i know maybe we, we drifting was a little class maybe we skipped yeah. all of my experience is only on three on the trees so <laughs> yeah. seven on the floor was a, <laughs> a little, little different, a little different. Yeah, graham yeah, what's weird. your second question well yeah. the second question is the the price of this thing it's yeah. like 120 120 base god that's a deal um uh the uh, performance what is the that performance pack you were like at 150 for as tested. Uh, it, like I think 140 hardtop total, 145 convertible total. Okay, so it seems expensive for a Corvette yeah. at first. But just looking at it, yeah. like oh, it's a lot for a Corvette. But especially in light of the next car we're going to be talking about, yeah, 
you'd say that's still, you know, great performance bargain. Something yeah, something they can do it all. We took it on the street after him with that magnetorheological. Magnetorheological. Mag- ride. With the magnetorheological suspension, it's it's insane how good it is on the street. It's Just, the best. You put it in tour mode, it got that soft suspension feel, and it goes quiet. Like, they yeah. have this really trick um, exhaust set up with, you know, it's a, it's a different. The flaps. It's, a, it's different than um, the normal, just like uh, valves that they yeah. do for the thing. They have like a, a pressure flap that opens up when the pressure gets too high. Oh, I yeah, have to explain it better. But um, but it's not quiet for a Corvette on the road. It's quiet for a car yeah. on the road. I mean, even the They engine, should be. If I had one of those cars, it would just be running open headers. Like that, just, that, I, couldn't, I couldn't even maybe imagine. Maybe do like a, a side exit thing, you know, coming out of the doors. And just one. Ahead of the I doors. think one last, one last point. I mean. The power, the few times that I did get fifth gear properly, uh-huh. as much shove as like second gear. I mean, you're at 135, you hit it, and your head snaps back, and you jump up to 160, 150 in a matter of seconds, mm-hmm. like you're going from 40 to 70 or something like and, that. I mean, with that much power and that little weight, I mean, it's just uh, it, it's hard to. So we were talking about the price. I mean, it's hard to pick a car at that price i mean there is no car at that price no, that can do everything no, you can do no you can't of course not well that because the the again, i mean there's AMG, not even a car at twice the price that can do not really no well, i mean that's it was in the amg gt and it was like a gtr and again i was trying to think of what to compare it to it's like well this porsche we're about to talk about uh. do you throw the the corvette in that mix and that even was no it's it was like 190 as tested yeah yeah one i mean you know, as tested. yeah they're like most of that is probably start. probably a third of that price is the red seatbelt option yeah so yeah. do away with that but Car- carbon fiber package seventeen yeah, thousand dollars it's it's 40 grand more to start than the corvette yeah right. and you know it, i it, would put that more like gt3 slash uh like base 488 uh uh, what do you call that? Huracan. Those are what, what's a Huracan start at? About two hundred. Yeah, the, yeah, I mean the Ferrari, the Ferrari and the Lamborghini, they're both north of two hundred to yeah. start, and, and obviously well, you're, you're at a quarter million before you're really. But I think that's that's probably more like in the area you're playing, as far as performance or as no, far as, as far as that's what I'm uh, cross out. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, it, it there, it's. In these past categories, there isn't really cross shopping. Right, people oh, make right. a decision people and then they, they buy it. And but that's, that's why. It. And if they like the other one, then they buy that one too. So, right. uh, Jake, now this Corvette. And I'm not a big Corvette slappy, by the way. I was never a huge fan. C5, I liked better than the rest. C6, I really liked. Yeah. C7, not as much. I don't like the body style on the C7. Uh, I, I love the C7. Most people do. Uh, okay, so here's here's my question, Graham. I have some technical questions about it. Normal small block engine. 800 horsepower. Mm-hmm. Uh, 750, yep. Yeah. Uh, it's in the normal place in the car? In, in, yeah, under the under the hood. Yes, under yeah, the, it is, in, front, it, is like it in the, in the normal place. Uh, and then, like, uh, as far as routing all the exhaust gases and stuff, just do that in the normal way. Yes, with a with a normal exhaust system, correct. Uh-huh. Yeah, there is that funny There's thing. There's no, like, like absurd, back. crazy... Uh, Sacrifices made for packaging in this car. It's just like a normal. Yeah, uh, FR front engine rear wheel. Yep. So, Robin, your car that you drove. Whoa! What a shock! I never uh, thought it would go that uh, way. Yeah. It's got the engine in the wrong place. They're still doing that for some reason. Tell us about it. Not entirely, actually. The uh, Porsche 911 RSR, their GT Le Mans contender. The one they designed to win races. They made it. They made that one a mid-engine car. Well, in this car too, functionally, I mean, it may be technically a rear engine, but you know, I think as far back as like my car, I think the weight distribution is like 
52 rear, 48 front. So it's not like a pendulum. It's 60, 40, 65, yeah. 35. Um, well, that that's part of it. And also they've got, they've crammed tons of technology into this car, not mm-hmm. least of which is active engine mounts. Mm. So mm. the engine, when you're in high lateral loads, basically the mounts firm up like it's welded to the chassis. Normal. So you don't get it. You know, it would be a literal pendulum where the engine would move against its mounts and swing weight one direction or the <laughs> yeah. other no oh, that's a big problem i think a lot of a lot of people were complaining like the yeah. first uh, i remember the first hundred years of cars people were like yeah the engine uh moved uh it's like a grandfather clock uh, it moved uh, one eighth of an inch and uh really set me off balance a few hundred pounds and it it can move more than that what would be enough but anyway the point I, is there's active engine ask. mounts and and so the engine is very rock solid, does not move when you're in high lateral situations. I, I kind of want to ask, can you do this without spending 25 minutes on how do they work, the active engine mounts? Like something screws down or something tightens up or like... And, oh. and how much does that system weigh, if you had to guess? Oh, I mean, the system weighs more than nothing. And no, I don't know exactly what method they use to firm up and loosen up the... Um, the engine mounts, but I imagine it's magneto rheological. Well, that's no, that, no. that's something I, I wouldn't think that, it, but I think it's something that just kind of, um, you know, kind of like uses the rubber Is it like and then uses the rubber less and more of a steel connection, then goes back to the rubber. That's hmm. my guess. Is it, a, um, is it like that stuff that, um, when you take what is it, corn, oh, uh, like a non Newtonian yeah. fluid or whatever? Yeah, is it a non Newtonian fluid? Yeah, um, I'll be happy to tell you what the RS is like to drive. So like what can, I yeah, what yes. I noticed is oh, wait, where'd you drive it at? I drove it in uh, Germany. Is that how it said? Yeah, I think so. Deutschland. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard G. Yeah, Germany. Yeah, uh, no, it was at the Grand Prix course of the Nurburgring. So there's the Nordschleife, which is mm-hmm. the big famous track that everyone talks about all the time, and the Südschleife. And the Südschleife is the Grand Prix course. It's much more typical, but still very nice you know, two and a half, three mile road course attached. And that's where we drove the car. And it was track only to drive the GT3 RS. Um, oh, you didn't drive it on the street? Yeah, the cars that they had for us to drive on the street was a GT3 Touring oh, and cool. a 911T. And the GT3 Touring... It's actually appealing somewhat. Y- sure. <laughs> uh, the GT3 Touring is without the big rear wing on the back. Manual and you only. can get a manual transmission. And No, it's manual only. Manual only, thank yeah. you. And it's, you know, just a lovely car to drive on the street. But the RS is legal to drive on the street. It is a road legal car, but for this event they only gave us track opportunities for it. Hmm. <laughs> when we when we did the Viper ACR, they didn't let us drive it on the street. They're like, Oh, it goes on the street, it's fine. It'll get you to the track and back, but yeah. I wouldn't suggest going much further than that. But I mean, the you know, the nine eleven also has adjustable shocks mm. that mm-hmm. can you know loosen up and firm up. How do theirs work? As in, what's that? How do theirs work? It's like a valving thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not the um, magic. It's not the electrical magnetism and metal in the oil, like uh, magnetite shock works. Mm. So the way magnetite shock works, it actually changes the viscosity of the oil. So sweet to make it Such easier and harder for it to pump through the shock. Away a lot of other different types of shocks. It's different kinds of valving that give the oil more room to flow in and out of. And uh, the Porsches are like that. But it's adjustable shocks, um, rear axle steering, you know, uh, the active rear engine mounts, super trick differential. It is um, a seven speed 
uh, dual clutch transmission, PDK transmission only. Mm-hmm. And it is just an absolute stunner of a of a naturally aspirated 520 horsepower, yep. 9,000 RPM redline engine. That's crazy. And it's just it's just the most beautiful thing to hear. Do you remember down the road. the curb weight on that? Do you remember? It's 3,191 pounds without the Y-Sock package, 3,153 mm. pounds wow. with the Y-Sock package. The Y-Sock package is a scant $31,000 for a set of magnesium wheels and a bunch of other carbon bits to replace some non-carbon bits. And actually, the way they're selling it now is $18,000 for the wheels, $13,000 for the rest of it. And the way the weights break down, it's actually a thousand dollars a pound of weight savings. And you get more weight savings if you buy it in a different country, right? Or you get a cage. The there. different, yeah. So uh, there's the uh, club sport package, mm-hmm. and they can't sell that in the United States because of various regulations. But in Europe, you can buy the club sport package for free, and it comes with a steel roll cage and a couple other bits. And the Wysock package comes with a titanium roll cage. Oh. But in the United States, so yeah, so in Europe, it's like a 60, uh, 60 kilogram savings. Uh-huh. So, you know, better, well over what 100 pounds like savings. Pound and a half? Okay. No, well, 2.2 pounds. Yeah. So, uh, so it's a, it becomes a sizable savings, but in the U.S., it's a much smaller because so, there's no roll cage involved. So not to be a weasel and not to besmirch uh, the wonderful reputation of Porsche automobiles, this is. I'm not trying to be sarcastic here, but um, you're very bad at not being sarcastic. There is a lot of qualifiers here. No, I'm. This is a genuine question. So this car is presumably fast. Very okay. Uh, probably on par with many other performance cars. Uh, well, it's zero to sixty time, and it's probably a bit conservative. I bet it's actually in the twos. Uh-huh. Um, is three seconds to sixty, six point nine seconds to one hundred miles an hour. Uh-huh. Corvette yeah. beats that. Yeah. Well, okay. also with 400 more pounds, I just noticed 3560 for the, the, the ZR1. Corvette weighs more. But, I'm oh, so I'm hold so on. glad Jake brought that up. Well, After we get to your point, I'm going to get to his. Here's my question. So, in uh, historically, right, Porsches have never been the most powerful cars. Right. They get it done in other ways. Yeah. That was um, that was that was uh it's like the a, kind of the Porsche mindset is underdog thing, yeah. Less power, less weight. And get around more efficiently. Yep, and and that's kind of cool. Like that's that's one of the things that like his, you know Porsche three fifty sixes, uh, very successful race cars in their day against much heavier, much more powerful machinery. Yeah, uh, really. Nine oh four is yep. a great example of that. Nine oh eight is cool too. Obviously, nine seventeen gets a little bit away from that. Still but cool though. Porsche, I think philosophically has maybe drifted from that a little bit. This car down on power substantially from really anything else in its class. So if you want to talk about, obviously, the ZR1, um, 800 horsepower, 755 horsepower, uh, McLaren 720S, 700 plus, Ish. I forgot yeah. what the thing 710 is. American, yeah. 720 American. metric. Yeah. Um, Pista, literally anything else that you would consider uh, a track weapon at that price point. What's that for, a 670 or something like that, I think? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're, I mean, the Mustang, the five liter Mustang we drove, four four sixty horsepower. Uh, we're talking what forty? What, what is that? Uh, yeah, f- uh, forty four grand or something like that. Yeah. Um, so this car down substantially on power. Wait, did we get the price of the of the GT3 RS yet? I don't think we did. A million dollars. 
Yeah. So it, it's it's a $188,550. Oh, it's cheaper than I would have guessed. It. That's to cheaper start. than I would have guessed. Well, the, to start. Yeah. the GT2 RS is like 100 grand more. It's like a weird right. error. That's the that's big. The, that's yeah, the that's one the, that be. Well, yeah, but the GT2 RS is turbocharged and has 700 horsepower, which puts it a lot. Yeah, closer that's the one to I would see ones. more yeah. in that yeah. range. So I guess my question is, and again, not being a weasel about it, but the, um, how is this car? You know what I mean? Like being substantially. Yeah, I mean, 200 horsepower down in some of these cars, 200 horsepower more down. Yeah, but I mean, you know, and you're still turning lap times at the. The six minute and fifty six seconds around the Nordschleife. That's crazy. Insane. Very fast. That's insane. Yeah. So how is it that fast? Is it diff? Is it the steering? Is it the pack tires? Robin, you were telling me something about these tires. <laughs> yeah. So the answer to your question is yes. It's all those things. I mean, it's it's a combination of stuff. One thing to think about: there is power to weight, and that's uh, that's where the Porsche does um, edge up, get some of the competitiveness back, mm-hmm. you know, because it's. Power to weight is um, six point one to one, and it's actually closer to six six to one. But it just the numbers uh, go up to six point one uh, when you round, and so it's got it's slightly better power to weight than the power alone would suggest, and everything works really well together. Um, and Porsche is really focused on the Nordschleife; they spend more time there than many, uh-huh. and uh, they've built this car. I mean, we've got. You've got over 900 pounds of downforce uh-huh. at 186 miles an hour. That's a lot. That's, a lot. that's over most car. things. And you've got a tire that's crazy. So here's, <laughs> here's how Porsche works. You have the Michelin Pilot Sport Cup 2 tire. Mm-hmm. That's your base tire. Yep. And then there's an optional tire that's the track tire Cheater above tire. that. Yep. And it's a, a Cup Sport 2R. Uh-huh. So they've like invented a tire that is closer to a race tire than anyone else can get, and still it's technically street legal. Still technically street, which legal. is how they get that. Which is how they get that record. I think. They, oh, that's exactly. Yeah, yeah <clears throat> absolutely. I mean, if you look at the horsepower numbers and things like that, because rear axle steering is trick, but it's been around for a little while. Obviously, adjustable shocks yeah, been around a while. Prelude, PCCB, yeah. all that kind of stuff. The uh-huh. brakes, um, and they were able to take 16 seconds off of their Previous. lap time from the. 2015-2016 model 911 GT3 RS. It's that tire. Um, and it's the downforce. I was going to say, so the Corvette, uh, the top tire is the Cup 2. So it doesn't let go above that. Um, right. But the, uh, the So the Corvette's top tire is the pace tire for the GT3 RS. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that that under that sub-seven-minute time around the Nürburgring, I mean, I've been watching these times since I started Auto Week for 10, 12 years now. Watch them creep, creep, creep. But the ones that have been under six were the like the radical, the radical SR8, um, like straight up race do mean, cars. Do you mean under seven? Under seven. Under seven. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Radical, radical SR8, um, straight up two chassis race car, like race cars. Barely, yeah, barely legal. As I, they say. I don't even know how they can how those were that because they were they were like twenty seconds ahead of everybody for years uh-huh. and years, and then we slowly crept, 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 and now. Uh, what the Huracan Performante went under seven or right at seven? Yeah. The GT3 RS and GT2 RS. the GT2 RS, GT2 RS is the current production car holder right. at six forty-seven. Right, which which is which is insane. nine seconds better than this one. And then this is, but this is also under seven. Yeah, this is yeah, under seven, uh, and it's and it's under seven with a one hundred and eighty horsepower deficit penalty. That yeah. that's nine seconds on a fourteen and a half mile course. Yeah, in, in one hundred and 
150 turns, 144 turns, something like that. I mean, it depends who, on how you count it, but yeah, who, uh, a lot of turns. Who drives these things? Who drove it for that? Well, Porsche development drivers. So the the guy that actually set the record was a Frenchman. He, I forget his name. He right lives. Now. It was Graham. 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 Yeah, the, the classic the classic Frenchman, Graham Kozak. He's got a, he's got <laughs> um, a cabin on the carousel yeah. of the Nürburgring. Yeah. All he does is but jog the track every to morning. To answer the question so about <laughs> performance to price, to me, that really becomes irrelevant in this category yeah. because – I mean, the vast majority of people that are going to buy a GT3 RS could buy the GT3 RS and the ZR1. But the GT3 RS just feels magic. The uh, the <laughs> the stuff they come up with in pursuit of this, uh, you know, com- complexity as the goal of building a car, or it is fascinating. I mean, it it is really incredible. To see just exactly how complicated you can make something. Well, um, and as someone who's disassembling a German car right now, it, I curse those people every day. <laughs> That's probably where this attitude comes from. That that Porsche uh, that I'm taking apart is is a series of very bad ideas uh, executed poorly. But but that's next week. Uh, we'll talk about that next week. Talk about drifting next week. Yep. What else we talk about next week? We'll talk about racing next week. Uh, all kinds of stuff. Make sure the winners of. Make sure the winners of the uh, every other week. Make sure the winners of the the winner of the beer tournament. We'll talk we'll about have, that next week. Uh, yeah, we'll actually have. Uh, we'll raise a toast. No, we'll actually have uh, Mr. Highlife. Mm, I think uh, William Highlife. I believe. Yeah, uh, Bill Highlife. I think yep. we can call him now. We know him well enough. Doesn't he prefer Billy? Yeah. It was actually Hillif. It was uh, it was a South African name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so he'll be here um, to tell us how he won, and uh, we we'll probably talk to some members of the team as well. But that is on the next episode, and we'll have to wait uh, to 